Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Oddity Podity. With St. Patrick's Day upon us, many of us will be donning a green t-shirt, guzzling mug after mug of green beer, and keeping our eyes peeled for the merry leprechaun that can lead us to a pot of gold. There are a lot more mythical creatures in Irish tradition, though, and meeting them rarely results in you reaching a new tax bracket. Generally, they result in your death. Back in the day when Ireland was filled with fairies, this was even more true. Then Christianity hit the scene. As paganism was phased out and as people stopped worshipping Celtic deities, the ancient gods died, or at least changed shape. St. Patrick is arguably the most famous of Irish Christian crusaders, and according to legend, he's responsible for running off some of these Celtic gods. But did you know that he's also low-key responsible for creating one of the most fearsome creatures in Irish folklore, as well as in literature and film? I'm talking about the Headless Horseman. If you're curious what St. Patrick has to do with the legend of Sleepy Hollow, keep listening. Because it's a spider-webby story that'll be fun for you to share with your drinking buddies at the bar tomorrow. on March 17th, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day. That and the break from Lent make it one of the biggest bar days of the year. But St. Patrick wasn't always a saint, nor was he always religious. He wasn't even Irish. He was actually born in Britain, and although he was the son of a deacon and the grandson of a priest, he was not always a believer in Christ. That all changed when he was 16 and was kidnapped by a gang of Irish pirates who took him to Ireland and enslaved him for six years. While in captivity, he learned the power of prayer, and through it formed a strong bond with God. Then one day, he heard a strange voice which told him that it was time for him to skedaddle, to go home, and that his ship was ready. With this, Patrick figured out a way to escape his prison. Once free, he set out for the nearest port, which was 200 miles away. Remember, he couldn't just hit up the nearest Enterprise rent-a-car, and he was a fugitive, so hitching a ride on a mule wasn't a good option either. So he did most of that 200 miles on foot. Once at port, he talked his way into his ship, and after a three-day cruise, he arrived back in his homeland of Britain. But once he landed, he again found himself without a ride home. Since he couldn't text his dad to ask for a lift, he once again set out on foot. This time the trek was longer, and after walking for 28 days through the woods, he finally collapsed from hunger. I've done the same thing after walking on the treadmill, but it usually happens after 28 minutes, not 28 days. Anyway, Patrick prayed to God for help, and of course, God came in clutch. And God continued to come in clutch for Patrick through many a misadventure. Now, you'd think all this drama might make Patrick retire to a quiet life of shepherdry or librarianism or something like that, but no. Patrick decided to return to Ireland. But why, though? I do not know. But that's what he did. And once he was there, he set out to convert people to Christianity, which is eventually how he achieved sainthood. There were still plenty of people who practiced paganism back then, and Pat did not approve. Apparently, he did a real good job because today there are a whole lot more Catholics in Ireland than pagans. Am I right? Oh, and he also did that thing with the snakes. 
As legend goes, Pat was chilling on top of a hill while doing a 40-day fast, and all of a sudden, this gaggle of snakes began attacking him for no reason. This ticked Pat off, so he chased them all down into the sea. Supposedly, this is why Ireland has no snakes. And that's the reason we all celebrate him by drinking mass quantities of alcohol on March 17th, which is the day that he died. But snakes weren't the only thing that St. Pat chased off. He was also responsible for running off all types of pagan gods and deities. One of those guys was a fellow named Crom Duh. Now, Crom evolved from a fertility god, and in his role, he commanded animal and human sacrifices to ensure healthy crops and livestock. Because of this, Crom became synonymous with death and dark magic. Well, St. Patrick wasn't having any death and dark magic in his world, so he set out to confront Crom Duh. When the fight first started, it looked like Crom might come out on top because he tried to shove Pat into an eternally burning fire. But St. Patrick had thought the whole thing out beforehand and he'd come prepared. He'd drawn a cross onto a stone and when he threw that stone into the fire, it prevented him from being burned. This scared Crom because he wasn't expecting it, so he ran off. But St. Patrick gave chase and followed him all over Ireland until they reached the edge of the country. When Crom could go no further and it looked like a showdown was imminent, St. Patrick pulled out his staff and slammed it into the ground. This caused the earth beneath it to split into two, which broke the land that Crom stood on off into an island, which is called Dunbrist. Now, Dunbrist is a real place. It's a horizontal stack of mudstone, siltstone, and limestone that stands just off the coast of Ireland in the North Atlantic Ocean. Coincidentally, Dunbris is also where all the snakes that St. Pat ran off were said to have ended up too. But with this, Crom was dispatched from the rest of the human world and could no longer terrorize the Irish. He still craved human souls, though, and he figured out a way to get them. By joining forces with the fairies, he infused his spirit into an embodiment known as the Dullahan. You might not think that you'd ever heard of the Dullahan, but when I tell you that there are creatures who ride on horseback carrying their own severed heads under one arm, I bet the headless horseman comes to mind. The Dullahan was the inspiration for the monster who terrorized Ichabod Crane in Washington Irvin's 1820 classic, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. But even though Washington's version of the Galloping Hessian was terrifying, it doesn't come close to the real Irish thing. The best description I've found of the Dullahan comes from WickedHorror.com, which describes them like this, quote, their eyes are black and beady. Their mouths are permanently fixed in a rictus grin. The flesh moldy and without pallor. They are always on the move and thus pull a covered wagon behind them, which is filled with gruesome objects. The wagon's wheels are made of bones, the covering of stretched human flesh, and the Doolahan wields a whip that is actually a human spine. Wherever a Doolahan's wagon stops is the spot where someone is scheduled to die. And if he calls out your name, that is a sign that you are the next to perish, end quote. At each side of the carriage hangs a skull with a candle inside it, which serves as a lantern. Upon the carriage seat is a coffin cover that's modeled by holes and covered in slime, a sign that grave worms have been feasting on it. However, this horrific creature might forego the wagon altogether and ride around bareback like a zombie Billy the Kid. Even though it looks like a demon or something that's undead, it's actually what's called an unseelie fairy, which is to say it's one of the evil kind. You see, this is how Crom was able to reincarnate himself and claim more lives. 
by entering the bodies of decapitated people and turning them into Dulahan. I say Dulahan is plural. Maybe it's Dulaha, but I say it that way because there are more than one that can exist simultaneously. The Dulahan are often seen near a graveyard or a vault where human remains are stored, reputedly those of wicked people whose souls it's there to claim. But the Dulahan only hang out there when they don't make it in time to show up and warn the person, wicked or otherwise, that their number is about to be up. As a coachman, it's said to drive its horse-drawn carriage out of the graveyard and right up to the door of the jerk who's about to die, kind of like the Grim Reaper at Uber Drivers. Did I mention that the horses that draw the carriage are also headless? Who the hell would get into that kind of Uber? It doesn't matter, because when it's your time to check out, the Doolahan is just there to make it extra traumatic, presumably as punishment for all the trauma you put others in in your miserable life. In 1828, Thomas Crofton Croker published a book called Fairy Legends and Traditions of the South of Ireland, which contained five whole chapters on the Doolahan. The thing I like best about this is that Croker proved the Doolahan is not only for headless horse men, because driving the taxi to hell is a unisex role. It gives hope that there might be a fun job for me should I be cursed by a member of the Unseelie Fairy Court. He also proves that you can't feel safe just because you don't see any headless dudes riding around solo or with a carriage either. The Doolahan are versatile, and all they really care about is that they get your soul, and preferably your head too. LibraryIreland.com posted the updated edition of Croker's story called The Good Woman, which is the tale of Larry Dodd, a well-meaning Irishman whose primary flaw is drinking too much and subsequently exercising poor judgment from time to time. Same, honestly. One day, Larry is riding alone on horseback, and he notices a woman in a cloak who's walking next to him and keeping pace with his steed. Instead of wondering how on earth a human could keep up with a horse, Larry offers the woman a ride. Not questioning this was probably a side effect of drinking too much that I just mentioned, but the woman eagerly took him up on it, and this was Larry's first mistake. He made a second and much more serious mistake when the woman dismounted and Larry demanded a kiss as payment for giving her a ride on his horse. Instead of kissing him, the cloaked woman fled, and this is when Larry made his final mistake. He chased her down and tried to force a kiss on her. As he did so, the hood of her cloak fell back, revealing that she had no head. At this point, he realized that this woman was a doulahan, but it was too late. Before he knew it, he found himself strapped to an execution wheel. Impaled at the end of each wheel spoke was a severed head. And dancing around the wheel were dozens of men and women dressed like townspeople. Soldiers, priests, sailors, jockeys and politicians, nobles and commoners. But what gave them away was the fact that each and every one of them carried their own head tucked under their arm. Larry was surrounded by a horde of Doolahans. As though they knew Larry's weakness, the Doolahan offered him a drink, which he heartily accepted. He opened his mouth to compliment it, saying, quote, "'Tis capital stuff." But he got no more than the word cap out before the Doolahan decapitated him and lopped off his head. Now here's where we think that Larry becomes a Doolahan himself, but instead he wakes up. The whole thing was a dream, or more like a bad omen of what was to come. In the short term, Larry gets off easy, though. Yes, the Doolahan stole his horse, and yes, he had to confess to his wife, Nancy, that he tried to steal a kiss from another woman. And yes, Nancy gave him hell for it, but he got to keep his head. 
But now that we know all about the Doolahan, we know that Larry's days are numbered, and his close call was actually a harbinger of his death. While there's no epilogue spelling it out, we can assume that Nancy soon came into a nice inheritance and became a merry widow. So what should you do if you hear the cloppity-clop of horse hooves and see a headless figure galloping your way? Well, if it shouts your name, there's really nothing you can do. You can't block its path or lock yourself away because any obstacle before it will magically disappear and any lock will unlock for it. Your number is up and you best just update your wheel real fast before you can croak. If it calls your buddy's name, however, and you're just an innocent bystander, whatever you do, do not try to stop it. Don't even look at it. Otherwise, it might throw a cup of blood on you or lash you with its whip made of a spinal cord. Either one of these could be fatal. The only thing the Doolahan fears is gold. As fearsome a creature as it is, the mere sight of gold will send it running because gold symbolizes the sun and light, which is in opposition to the Doolahan's darkness. When Krom Duh was an ancient Celtic god, his festival took place in late August to around early September. After he was sent away by St. Patrick, the Doolahan honored Krom by claiming the most souls during that time of the year. They ran rampant in early fall and are still said to do so. However, since St. Patrick has a direct connection to the Doolahan, it makes sense that you might be likely to run into one as St. Pat's Day draws near. I'm here to challenge you to dress up as a Doolahan instead of wearing green to your local bar's St. Patty's Day celebration. Sure, you might get pinched, but you can retaliate by whipping people with your spinal cord whip. Okay, I'm just going to get you arrested and charged with assault. Don't do that. But do enjoy St. Patrick's Day however you choose to celebrate. Guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me today. I really enjoyed it. I hope you'll join me again next week, same time, same place, for a little more history and a little more hot. We'll see you then.